The Attributes of God, uh, Part 3, Omnipotence and Sovereignty today. There's uh, a lot we could say about both of these that we're not going to say this morning, especially in the area of sovereignty. There's other areas of sovereignty that's going to come up in the other areas of our lessons through systematic theology. I was going to bring them in at that point in time. For example, sovereignty and salvation and so forth. So, anyway, omnipotence. We'll start there. Omnipotence means God has unlimited power to do anything consistent with his nature. I mean, there's nothing he can't do. And what do you mean consistent with his nature? Well, for another, like we've read in the past, like, you know, God cannot lie. That's not consistent with his nature. Okay? And, um, <clears throat> and being all-powerful, uh, we don't want to get into, there's a, a lot of the foolishness around some of these attributes, like saying, well, can God create a boulder so big he can't pick it up? See, that's just dumb. <laughs> that's just not smart talk. I mean, you know, people pull that and go, see, again, that's inconsistent with God. God is not into the frivolity and all that stuff. So uh, I'd say questions like that from folks, I don't take them or their questions seriously when, when, you come, when they come at you with stuff like that. Just kind of cons- considered for that. Now, the biblical evidence, and I'm not going to look up these verses, <clears throat> but I just, wanted to, I just want to run through the list. Like, some of the evidence is some of the names and titles used for God, and this is just some of them. But El Shaddai, which is <clears throat> translated God Almighty, for example, in seven, Genesis 17.1, where uh, <clears throat> the Lord is speaking to uh, Abraham, the Mighty One of Israel, as in Isaiah 124, the mighty one of Jacob. You remember Jacob, Israel, refers to the same thing. Isaiah 49, 26. And then, of course, we know this one, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Revelation 19, 16. And then to the Lord Almighty, 2 Corinthians 6, 18. And there's more and more of those and uh, <clears throat> various forms of those. But then, Let's look at some of these passages where Scripture plainly says there is nothing too difficult or impossible for God. Let's go to Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen. Probably won't look up all of these either, but I want to at least get, visit some of them. And like I say, when you're talking about the attributes of God... Uh, there, you know, for omnipotence, I mean, there's literally hundreds of these passages that we could go to. They're just, I mean, I'm just giving samplings of what's out there in Scripture. 32.17 says, Ah, Lord, ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by the great power by, <clears throat> and by your outstretched arm, nothing is too difficult for you. And we're going to get in that, uh, too, about uh, one of the things about his power is the fact that creation itself Um, And in verse 27 of Jeremiah um, 32, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? And the answer would be, no. (laughs) All right, that that rhetorical question, no, of course not. Um, Then Zechariah, let's let's look at Luke 1, let's look at Luke 137. Let's go into the New Testament, then we'll move on from there. Luke 137. This is a statement from the angel Gabriel in speaking to 
Mary, so Luke, Luke one thirty seven, for nothing will be impossible for God. That's Mary's answer. I asked a very reasonable question. Well, you know, how can I give birth to a child? I never been with a man. I don't, you know, how's this going to happen? And then Gabriel's part of Gabriel's answer is nothing will be impossible for God. Don't worry about it. Now, the works of God demonstrate his omnipotent power. And I want to go back to creation. Creation of the universe. Genesis chapter 1. Possibly in the, uh, in the heathen world out there, Genesis 1.1 might be the most despised and ridiculed verse in all of scripture Uh, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and it's almost like he could just said it it's it's, it's almost as if God's saying yeah in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth any questions (laughs) any yeah I mean that says it he did it he did it but he does go into detail not 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 some detail of how but, but he goes into detail. Let's just kind of, kind of read through there a little bit. And the earth was formless and, <clears throat> and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And guess what? There was light. <laughs> he, just, he just said it. Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. And we're not doing a study of creation per se, but dare I say, one day as in a 24-hour day as we know days. Same thing. Number, verse 6, Then God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the, the waters, and let them separate the waters from the waters, And God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below and the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. So he just separated the waters, moved things up. So now you have a situation where you have heaven and earth, so to speak. And he says, and God said there was evening and there was morning, a second day. And again, I'm not going to go through all these, but just... But know this, that after the end of each day, he says, there was evening, there was morning, one day. Just the same cycle we know about. The same cycle we know about. Well, where's the sun and the moon? He doesn't need a sun and the moon to have a 24-hour day. All right? Let there be light. Light was there. And guess what? There was light and darkness without the sun. He can do that. Remember, we're talking about a God so powerful that he spoke things into existence that weren't there there was nothingness and he said let it be and it was i mean just keep this in his context not ours <laughs> okay his context okay and then verse 14 it says let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens and then so then you have i believe you have all the the stars and the planets and the moon and this again verse 19 there was evening there was morning a fourth day And verse 20, God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth. 
in the open expanse of the heavens, God created great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind, every winged bird after its kind, and God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, fill, fill the sea, waters with the seas, and let the birds multiply. And it was evening, morning, the fifth day. You get in the sixth day, um, <clears throat> and God, verse 24 and 25, God said, let, let the earth bring forth living creatures, cattle, creeping things. Basically, we're talking about mammals there. And then you get into verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the earth. And so he did that in verse 31. And after he created, and that was his final piece of creation, verse 31. And now God saw that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Okay? And there was evening, there was morning, a sixth day. Okay. And uh, when you get into chapter 2, he'll give us. He talks about the seventh day, and then he gives more information on the actual process in creating man in chapter two. But we're not. But again, just know that. I mean, we just we have to just understand, and because the the critics are out there, and oh, you're, and if you speak to them about what you believe, they'll say you're nuts. They'll say, oh, how unscientific to you. And I can remind them of all the unscientific they've been pr- promoting these days. But anyway, um, again, God said it. It happened. He's got that kind of power. Okay, now, we, now beyond creation to the creation itself, he's demonstrated it in the, uh, his control over the creation. Let's look at the Exodus 14, the, the parting of the Red Sea. I think that's kind of kind of a big, big event. It's kind of cool, actually. <laughs> hey, they made a movie about it and everything. <laughs> so now we know what Moses looked like. Yeah, he looks like Charlton Heston. <laughs> but I mean, this whole story, which you know, we we really, if we took time to read it, we'd do nothing else. But it. It is worth its own study, believe me. Well, all this, these passages are. You hate to kind of go there and then not do it. I mean, they're so, I, I think they're just, mar- I mean, I'm sitting there reading these things, you know, going, oh, I'm, I'm too, you know, no wonder it takes so long to put a lesson together. But I mean, but it just, you get ca- caught up in all this, and it's really great, great. I use the word story, but sometimes that means like fairy tale, the great account, yes. A, um, this historical <laughs> perspective on what's going on here. And, <clears throat> and so we, we pick up the story, say, say in verse 13, but Moses said to the people, remember they, they're moving out, Moses said to the people, do not fear, <clears throat> stand by me, and, and, and I love this, stand by me and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, will you will never see them again forever the lord will fight for you while while you keep silent mm. they should have taken that one more to heart but anyway mm. then the lord said to moses why are you crying at me? you know why are you crying out to me tell the sons of israel to go forward and as for you lift up your staff and stretch it over the over the sea and divide it and the sons of israel shall go through the midst of the sea 
Now check this one, on dry land. He not only rolled back the sea, but he dried up the ground underneath the sea. They walked dry land. I guarantee you, they were kicking up dust walking through. There's so many of them. They were walking across that on dry land. I mean, you talk about, that's just a little extra perspective that God throws in there to his miraculous power. You know, that, that's, that's our God, folks. Verse 17. And as for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go, after, go in after them, and I, will, and, I will, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and his army, you know, through his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots, and through his horsemen. And we know what happened, don't we? The, the Israelites went through, walked on dry land, up the bank, onto the other side, and here comes Pharaoh's army and his chariots and his horsemen. They get in there. That great big walls of water that was built up on each side just, vroom, just engulfed, just just came on down and engulfed them. And then, you know, you could, and it talks about their, um, how they were just kind of washed up onto the bank and it was done. They were done. And again, um, Egypt. Was never never a problem again for that group of people. And that was it. And you know, you you look back through history, Egypt as a country never rose to world. They never rose up again to world power prominence again after that. They were they were just. By the time you got through the ten plagues, then the army took it, uh, and this was all set up. Even you go forty years down the road. When Joshua went into the promised land and stuff, who was like almost, who had a, or I should say, guess who had a, a kind of was in league with those nations in Cana, mutual protection? Egypt. Egypt never lifted a finger to stop Joshua, did they? They, weren't, they were nowhere to be seen because they still hadn't recovered from those ten plagues. You go back to those ten plagues, it destroyed the economy and everything of that nation. They never, even 40 years down the road, they never, ever came back from that. Never. Not to the prominence they had then. But um, anyway. And then we got we to go and look at our Lord. We haven't been there yet, but as soon as we're through with the attributes, I'm going to go into the Trinity but uh, look at God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. Matthew 8, <clears throat> 23 to 27, very familiar passage, but <clears throat> they're out on the Sea of Galilee. And we got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm in the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he himself was asleep. I think the waves just kind of covering the boat. And Jesus is asleep. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you timid, you men of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. Now, when it says perfectly calm, it means perfectly calm. 
You know, you ever heard the expression, like, you got in the ocean and the, and, the, and the water was like glass? That's perfectly calm. That's the, that's the situation they had when Jesus rebuked the storm. I don't, know, I don't know how exactly what he said. We're not told, but he rebuked the storm like, you know, put a lid on it or whatever he said. And it was storm gone, waves gone, just calm, calm perfectly calm. I mean, that... That's a twofold miracle. I mean, number one, to just boom. And guess what he did to do that? Just like in creation, he spoke it and it happened. He spoke it and it happened. Another biblical proof of the deity of Jesus Christ right here. He had that power over creation. He spoke it, it happened. And I love verse 27. And the men marveled, saying, What kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? I mean, uh, God? I mean, see that? They were were in there to witness that was was something magnificent. I mean, what kind of man is this that even the winds? They were just totally astonished. You know, the... uh, Technical term is they were just blown away. <laughs> they just, you know, they're just like, wow. How do you guarantee you that's nothing we've ever, anybody's ever seen firsthand, that something like that magnificent, that magnificent. And you may. <laughs> it, it just dawned on me, um, you know, how people say, you know, they talk about um, how the world evolved over so many thousands of years. I mean, if they believe in the Word of God in, in anything, you know, to bring this as an example, look, it happened instantly. Mm-hmm. Why couldn't it happen instantly at the beginning of time? Yeah. I mean, so, you, you, yeah. Yeah, you, you I, can, it just dawned on me. I don't know why. Sure. Why didn't I ever use that? And, you know, you can see that in a lot of, of Jesus' miracles, like some of those healings, like some of those people that were basically uh, paralytics from birth. Then yeah. he just says, rise up and walk, and they jump to their feet, start, start dancing around and stuff. There's creation going on in there. The, the loaves and the fishes. I mean, creation. I, and it instantly, instantly. And they say, show us a sign. Show us a sign. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, respond, show us some sense. You know, you're asking for a sign. But, uh, and then we know that he upholds all things. Um, uh, <clears throat> Hebrew, I'll just use Hebrews 1.3. You need to turn there. It says, speaking of Christ, and he is the radiance of his glory, speaking the glory of the Father, his exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. Upholds all things by the word of his power. When he made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. But, I mean, he's... He upholds all things by the word of his power. So that's, I read Hebrews 1.3. I got to tell you, I'm not sweating global warming, climate change, or whatever the popular term is. It's one in winter and one in summer. But I, I, yeah. I don't, it doesn't bother me. I mean, come on, man. Give me, <laughs> give me a break. <laughs> you know, and yeah, I sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm really concerned about some Christians that buy into some of this stuff, like global warming. Come on, folks. 
Who's in charge here? <laughs> Speaking of who's in charge, let's look at sovereignty. Let's look at sovereignty. Let's move on to the next thing. We're going to run out of time. But God is the absolute ruler over everything. That's what sovereignty. All beings, all things, all you know, are subservient to Him and dependent on Him, whether they know it or not. Okay, um, and He will, you know, His will is sovereignly independent of everything outside of Himself. No influence of any kind can affect God's sovereign decisions, choices, and whatever else He decides to do. The biblical evidence. Um, <coughs> I'm just going to read what they are uh, and then go into some of the examples. I think sometimes examples really uh, show it. Well, maybe I'll take one each. God acts according to his own pleasure. Daniel 4.35. Our good friend Daniel. It's interesting. It's... um, It's in Daniel, and Daniel has a lot to say, but yet in this particular passage, this isn't Daniel speaking. This is King Nebuchadnezzar speaking. And I, I believe what we're in, in this thing that starts up in uh, verse 34, I think this is Nebuchadnezzar's testimony to his personal salvation. I really do. I expect to see Nebuchadnezzar in the hereafter, in eternity. I really do. 435, and all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he's speaking of God. Are accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. I mean, both in heaven and earth, Nebuchadnezzar is saying. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? I mean, you can't even question him. And this is a king that had, in his mind, absolute power, at least over Babylon, so he thought, until he met the real God. And so he was saying, hey, and and speaking as a king who had authority, who can question him? And he was a man that would not be questioned. You see what I'm saying? And so, at least to this point in his life. And I think that's a marvelous testimony from a man who experienced absolute power in his own kingdom. And then our next statement here, and again, God gives account to no one. Um, let's look at Job. Job 38. It's a book we is, is rarely visited. The only one more rarely visited I can think of is probably Song of Solomon. But... Um, both could be interesting studies. Um, <clears throat> Job 38.1. Now here is, and you got to think, this is Job after, I mean, 37 chapters, well, 36 chapters of just being beat up. Name it. Ugly things happened. Lost his children. Lost all his possessions. <laughs> The only thing he had left was was his wife, and she wasn't much help. You know, she says, "Oh, don't you just curse God and die?" Oh, thanks, hon. <laughs> you know, but uh, and so 
After a while, he's like, what's going on here? What, you know, what, why do I get it? And here now God's going to answer him. 38.1, he says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Oh, that's never a good sign. Out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Oh, this isn't going to go well. When, you, when, when God talks and that's his opening line, you know, <laughs> um, he says, and then it's followed by this one in verse 3. Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, you inst- and ask you, and you instruct me. You know, verse 4. Where were you when I laid the foundation of theirs? Tell me if you have understanding. Uh, who, set the, who set its measurements since you know? Or who's, who stretched the line on it? You know, speaking in surveyor-type terms, you know. Well, yeah, were you... Uh, were you there? Were you, would you, did you hold the target for me? <laughs> I mean, you know, were you there? And, uh, and he just goes on and on and on and on of this. And, I mean, you can read from 38, from chapter 38, verse 1, all the way to the end of chapter 41. I mean, boom, boom, saying, who are you? Who are you? You want to challenge me? And, he, and, he, and through this, God points out the various things that he did, like creation and uh like this, this huge uh, sea animal. Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook? You know? Yeah, you know, you go in there and something maybe the size of a giant alligator and go up to him with a trout rod. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Good luck. Or behemoth, you know, 15 of chapter 40. You got all this stuff. And, um, and then in chapter 42... Of Job, verse 1 and 2, it says, And Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours will be thwarted. Yeah. So, you know, he goes on. We'll stop there. But poor Job, he had a rough life. But I'll tell you what, he's a, he's a man uh, truly loved by God, and actually highly revered by God. Very highly revered. I mean, I think of Job... A lot of times, a man that highly revered. Ezekiel mentioned Job. Ezekiel mentioned people of, of patience and long-suffering and high spiritual quality. I think more than once, Ezekiel mentioned Job, Noah, and Daniel. And Daniel was a contemporary, of, which speaks highly of Daniel. A contemporary, he wasn't even dead yet. So, and he had that reputation. So, you know, that's... Uh, pretty tall company and uh, Job fared well so you know we don't uh, Job is I I can assure you doing well also in sovereignty that third bullet point he is pictured as the potter his creatures as the clay okay and what that means that's sovereignty hey I created you you didn't create me I created you and Basically, and we don't have to look these up, but uh, like Romans 9, you ever, you, ever, you ever feel like you want to question what God's doing? Read Romans 9, 19 through 26. You talk about a wake-up call. That's, a, that's kind of a Job experience. <laughs> I mean, you read, you read that. He says, uh, hey, I'm the potter. You're the clay. Does the pot have a right to squawk at the, at the potter? No. No. Reminds me of our kids <clears throat> when they're born. You can't wait till they talk, <laughs> and then they talk, and they get 
<laughs> then we can't wait till they showed up. No, I didn't say that. I didn't, no, no, really, no. Communication is important. And there's many examples of sovereignty. I picked one, um, the life of Joseph. And uh, where you can see God's sovereignty in the life of an individual. Okay? Now that, again, that is one of those things that could actually be a study that would take, uh, if we went into that and, and really dug into that, would take more than one Sunday. It's a, it's a very long story. It really is. A very important story. Um, it, it really, there's some things in between, but it, it goes basically from chapter uh, 37 through 50. But there's things that are stuck in between there. You know, other little interludes of other stories. But it's a lot of information. I'm going to briefly, I'm not going to look to everything, but I will look at some of the stuff. But like the whole story, we go that we know the story, at least where the account of Joseph, where his brothers sold him into slavery. And there's some real, real hatred going on there. Really, really, really bad hatred. He was sold into slavery to Ishmaelites, you know. And so the Ishmaelites then took him, got into Egypt, sold him in Egypt to a fellow named, remember Potiphar? He was a high-ranking official in Pharaoh's cabinet, you might say. Very high-ranking official. And so while, and, and it kept saying in there, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And then um, Potiphar's wife made a few moves on him and Joseph says, no, 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 not right, can't do. Nah. And she kept, she was very insistent. And so anyway, she went through a whole big scene and framed him as if he was trying to assault her. Okay? And the husband believed the wife, as all good husbands do. <laughs> and, uh, and so anyway, um, Pharaoh, or not Pharaoh, but Potiphar threw him in the king's dungeon. There was a couple of dungeons. One of them was the king's dungeon. So the king, if he had people he didn't, that needed a lesson, they threw him in the dungeon, in the prison jail. Well, Potiphar threw him in that jail. Now, while there, uh, he, was in, he was sold into slavery, wound up as a uh, prisoner. And while in prison, he met the pharaoh's chief cupbearer and baker. They each had dreams. And... Joseph interpreted both dreams correctly, <laughs> okay, and they made note of that. Um, it didn't go well for the baker <laughs> because as Joseph correctly interpreted that dream that, uh, well, your dream means basically you're going to get hung. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, but for the cupbearer, the dream was, oh, you're eventually going to be pardoned and back in the service of Pharaoh, which did happen. And so, chapter, let's look at chapter 41 of here. If you're in Genesis, uh, 41.1. Now, it happened at the end of two full years. Two full years. This is two full years after uh, he uh, interpreted these dreams for these fellows, and the, uh, the cupbearer was turned loose, and the uh, baker was hung. Don't let that don't let that bread burn. <laughs> I don't know what he did, but <laughs> so 
And so while he had it and things were going bad and, and you know, folks that work for people with big influence always trying to make points, right? That's just what happens. So Pharaoh had a dream, and in the process of this, the chief cupbearer remembered, ah, this guy Joseph. And he, the cupbearer recommended Joseph to Pharaoh to interpret the dream, which, of course, he did. And he, he, he did interpret the dream, and it did turn out right. Now, the bottom line, or the, 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 the uh, and here's where this comes in, where we can just have enough time to finish it. 41 verse 39. We'll just cut right to the end of it here, of this section. But 41, 39 to 42, here's the end result of, of Joseph's God-given ability to interpret the dream. Remember, Daniel was given that same, there's a lot of similar, a lot of parallels here in, in how he worked with these two men. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God, and remember all along, Pharaoh, just like Daniel, Joseph was giving credit for God for this. He was not taking it for himself. And as a response, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all this, there is, uh, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage only, you know, to you, you do homage, only the throne, I will, I will be greater than you. I mean, that's high. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt, and here's a big, big thing here. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a necklace around his neck. When you, you're given that signet ring, that ring is authority. So when you go on and when something has to be done, you take that signet ring and thump, mark, stamp it on whatever document or, or decree is going out there. You just put the authority of Pharaoh on that, on that decision, okay? And he had, again, other than the throne itself, Pharaoh says, you've got full authority. You've got, you have the authority of Pharaoh, really, throughout the land. And so Pharaoh can just kind of lay back and enjoy. And then let's keep moving forward. Chapter 45, verse 4 to 8. Now, <clears throat> Remember, sold into slavery by his brothers, and now he's going to meet with his brothers. Okay? And um, here they come, verse 4, chapter 45. Then the Joseph said to his brothers, Please come closer to me. And they came closer. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into slavery, <laughs> sold into Egypt. Well, I bet they start swallowing hard on that one, you know. <laughs> man. Oh, man. And now... Do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you, before you to preserve life. That is huge. To preserve life. What life? Your life. The nation of Israel's life. Remember, the nation of Israel's life was that family unit. It was Jacob and those, bo and those sons who did him wrong. But they were part of God's promise they were part of God's future heritage so God in his sovereignty was not going to allow them to be and again they were they were protected in Egypt for those years remember there was a famine in the land they were a very tiny group 
And any nation around there could have just swept through and wiped them out. But God decided the way he was going to protect them was to bring them into Egypt. Okay? And this is and it's, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Verse 6, for the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. His, the dream said, you know, seven years of plenty, seven years of fam, fam, famine. And so the plenty came by, and then Joseph built up the storehouses to cover for the seven years of plenty, so now for the famine. So now here we are two years into the famine, and people are just dying of starvation all over the place. Egypt is where the food was. So they came in. And verse 7, and here Joseph says again, And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he was made, and, and he has made me a, a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. In other words, you told him, Hey, bros, what I say goes around here. You know, what I say goes. Let's move forward to chapter 50. To the end of the account and coming closer to the end of Joseph's life. <clears throat> and now the scene here is that, you know, they're kind of nervous. Now here, Jacob, called Israel, dies. And now the brothers are starting to get nervous. Like, oh man, maybe he was only keeping us alive for the, our father's sake, you know. Now maybe he's going to, now here's where he's going to get us. Maybe. And they were afraid that might happen. Which is a, a very old human habit. We tend to judge people by ourselves. We were ready to kill him out of pure jealousy. He may, this may be getting even time now. Because dad's not here, you know what I mean, to protect us. To say, hey, hey, you know, to run interference for us. I'm thinking that's, that's what they're thinking. And so then they come up and say, and they, well, as a matter of fact, you can, um, well, verse 17, thus you shall say to Joe, here's their, their thing, please forgive us, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for, for they, did, they did you wrong, and now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and says, Behold, we are your servants. And if you read the story from the beginning, way back when he was a 17-year-old kid, he said, I, he shared a dream with them that he probably shouldn't have shared, humanly speaking, but, and so he said, yeah, I, I've had a dream by God where I will actually be your ruler, you will serve me, and then, and then they, uh, they, the brother says, oh, we're really, you're gonna, we're going to serve you, you know, oh, really, and see, they already didn't like him because a bad thing to do, folks, Joseph was obviously the favorite son, and, and Jacob made a big demonstration about that to where it was known and not a quality parenting practice I think you guys all know but it happens <clears throat> but verse 19 Joseph said to them do not fear be afraid for for am I in God's place the answer to that question yes and as for you you meant evil against me but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. And then we can drop down to verse 24 at the end of Joseph's life. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die. You see, right there, if he, was, if he wanted vindictiveness, 
you could have had them taken out first. You could have had them executed. He had power over Egypt. He could have done it. But he, this is what he did. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised an oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And so on that, we again, uh, closing thoughts, you can look at them yourself, Psalm 33, 18 to 22, and then, of course, John, Tevin, John chapter 10, the, the good shepherd. But, I mean, that's, that's a classic, that's a great example of just God sovereignly working through his people to, to bring about his chosen, desired result. And, uh, again, the story of Joseph, a tremendous story. And Joseph was indeed a faithful man, a faithful man. Let's uh, close in prayer. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this time together. We thank you that you are, you are omnipotent and are sovereign. We're glad that you're in charge and not us or any other man. Again, Lord, thank you also that you are a God of grace and mercy and forgiveness. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.